This morning we'll be reading from John 1, 19 through 34. And this is on page 982 on the Pew Bibles. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Once you're there, say, Jesus Christ is born. Amen. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A prophet is risen up among the people now. John the Baptist, they called him. And the Pharisees and the elders of the temple asked him if he was the Christ, if he was the Messiah, or if he was one of the prophets. And he answered them, no, I'm the forerunner. I was sent to tell you that the Son of God is coming now. And this is the minute that John the Baptist was born for. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today. If it's your first time here, my name's Jason. I'm the pastor here. I'd love to meet you out in the lobby after service. Just one quick announcement. You heard of all the festives that we have going on on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. Um, one request that we do have is we do need some volunteers to help us in nursery on Christmas Day. I know that is an ask, but it would be a great service. It's just in the nursery. You don't have to worry about teaching anything or doing anything like 
like that. There is a sign-up sheet out there in the lobby. I know if you want your kids with you on Christmas Day, we encourage that. And they're also going to be having fun back there in Kids Side as well. So if you could just help us out, sign up for nursery, that would be great. We are in our third week of Advent. We were a little bit off, but nonetheless, we are in Advent. And um, if it's your first time knowing what Advent is, the word just simply means the arrival of or the coming of. And it's a Greek word that's used there in the New Testament. And what we do is we celebrate that Jesus Christ has come, that the Old Testament prophesied and predicted that God would send the Savior. And so we've been studying that. And also at the same time, we look forward to when Jesus Christ will come again. And so Advent is a time of in-between. And we've been studying the life of John the Baptist. And, and we've learned a couple key principles. And the first one was this. We said that Advent teaches us to never confuse God's silence with God's absence. That there was 400 years of silence. No revelation. No prophet stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. Until the angel announced to Zechariah and Elizabeth that they would have a son at an old age. And then John the Baptist fulfills that prophecy. But there were 400 years of silence. And so just because we are in a season where we feel like we are not directly hearing from God, we can't mistake and know that the hand of God is still at work. Amen? And then we learned last week that in order to receive the king and his kingdom, that the one thing that we must do to receive him is to repent. That that is the message of the Bible. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's not a dirty word. It's not a negative word. It's not a bad word. But it is the way that we come to God, is that we turn from our sin and we trust in him. And this week, I want to always, at least one Sunday, this time of year, remind us of sort of um, a subversive message that's taking place this time of year. And so there's the exchanging of the gifts, there's parties, there's all of that stuff. And, and even Hobby Lobby has sort of hijacked some Bible verses and they throw them on some pillows or some slats of wood and they sell it for $75 and you're like... That's like four slats of wood and some paint, man, you know. But, but we forget sort of the main message and we gloss over it. And, and maybe this will help. Imagine that you are at your Christmas or the exchanging of gifts is taking place. And you have a friend or a family member that hands you the present and says, I'm so excited for you to open this. And so you receive the gift. And so we always say thank you, right? We were taught to say Thank you. At Christmas, parents hover over their kids and nudge them and kick them to say, say thank you, right? You need to say thank you. And so you receive this gift and you unwrap it. And um, it's a book and a membership. And the book says um, how to lose weight this year. And it's a membership to Planet Fitness. And you're just kind of like... I, it th thanks, you know, this, or, or maybe you receive a gift and, you know, it's a sweater or a pair of pants or something, but with it comes um, a guide to how to dress better. 
And you're like, wow, the word better. That's, that's, a, that's a bit of a problem. You know, you, you receive a gift and you say thank you, even though maybe the gift has a little message by it. And, and listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, you can't accept a gift without admitting sort of your need for the gift. <laughs> When you say thank you and you receive the gift, there's sort of an unspoken social contract that you're like, well, um, apparently I needed this gym membership this year, right? When you accept something, you are admitting, I guess I, I need this. Now, hold on to that thought and um, think of some of these famous verses, right? How about, how about John 3.16? We love that. Tim Tebow made that real famous, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave. See, kids, this is why we give gifts, because God gave us the greatest gift in Jesus Christ. Aw, that's great, right? Well, it's not the rest of the verse. God gave us his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Oh, the word perish there is a little troublesome, right? Um, I'm all for God giving us gifts and giving us his son Jesus. That's great. But it seems to be contingent that when we accept this gift, we are also admitting and saying, if I had not received this gift, I would perish because I did not have eternal life. Or how about this one? This is the famous Christmas verse. I mean, this is it. Um, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is great. I've even seen this on sweatshirts and pillows, and they end the verse there. Literally, after Jesus, it just says, dot, dot, dot. It, it ends the verse. Do you know why? Because the rest of the verse is really troublesome, right? Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, there's sort of a subversive message at Christmas that we tend to forget with the lights and the cookies and all the fun. And, and the reality is this, that receiving the gift of Christ requires humility. I mean, we even sing songs. I was lost, but now I'm found. We love singing the, I, I was blind, but now I see. We love the now I see. We love the now I'm fine. I'm, I'm found, but we have to admit we were blind and we were lost. When we say, I'm a follower of Christ and God saved me and I'm a born again Christian, that at the same time of accepting the gift of salvation is an admission of being lost. And so when we look at this idea of, of humility, this is what the only response to Christmas is humility. My favorite song that we sing Fall on your knees. That's the only proper response to Christmas. And Advent prepares us for that. So when we have this topic of humility, 
How can we learn that? I mean, goodness gracious, philosophers have spilled oceans of ink writing about humility. Well, there is no greater character study than the life of John the Baptist. And that's who we've been studying to prepare us for Advent. Because John's whole purpose is to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist is, is the guy that would say this about Jesus. He would say, Jesus is coming, but Jesus is so much greater than I am that I am not even able to tie the strap to his sandal. Like literally, John answered them, I baptize you with water because John was drawing a crowd. John had social media followers. John's TikTok was going viral with all of these baptisms, man. This is a real thing. So people went out to see him. John, you're drawing a crowd. And John was very quick to say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's, it's not about me because there is one who comes after me who the strap of the sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. That is a picture of humility. So John makes three statements. He says three things in these verses that come with humility. Humility knows who it isn't. Humility knows who it is. And then humility knows who Jesus is. The, the first statement is this, humility knows who it's not. I love this in verses 19 through 20. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. So this is the religious elite. Um, these guys were kind of like Paul Blart, the mall cop, right? They didn't have any real authority, but they'll tase you in a heartbeat, son, okay? And so they, they, they don't want any ruckus going on. They don't want anybody messing up. We got traditions, and we are the ones who wear the robes, and we are the ones who people come to with their problems. And so they're like, hey, John's drawing a crowd. And then look, they ask him just this direct question. Who are you? Who are you? And that's, that's such a piercing question, isn't it? Who are you? I mean, I mean it's a question that, that we've all struggled with in our lives, primarily around the age of junior high, right? <laughs> right? And, and, and it's like, who am I? What, what defines me? Oftentimes, if you hear a man introduce himself, he'll say what he does. Oftentimes, if you hear a woman introduce herself, she'll, she'll introduce herself by her kids or a family based on relationships. We define ourselves by who we are through a number of ways. And they said, who are you? And then I love this verse. Here it is, verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed two times. He confessed, well, I'm not the Christ, Verse 21, and they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Well, well, who are you then? Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I love this. Three times. And, and notice how they try to peg him in a corner. Constantly, um, are you the Christ? Because if he said he was the Christ, it's a wrap. 
Like, I mean, he would get tried. That's heresy. No way. None of that stuff. No, not the Christ. Well, then, well, then you're a prophet, right? I mean, this happens today. Well, well, what are you? Well, are you Republican? Uh, no, you're not Republican. You're one of them leftists, ain't you? Yeah, I can see you're wearing hemp sandals. You know, no, I'm just kidding, right? I mean, like, you know, it's always trying to peg someone in a corner, trying to define who they are. But the magnitude of when John says, I'm not the Christ. You see, we don't understand that phrase, the Christ. I'm not. Uh, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. And, and, and that's okay. Maybe you didn't grow up in church because it's always Jesus Christ, right? And you're like, no, if I went to the seas, would I find Jesus' phone number, okay? That's, that's not his last name. It's, it's a title um, that derives from the Old Testament. And in the original languages, for the two of you who care, this is what the statement would look like. I am not um, Christos. I am not, here it is, I am not the Messiah, would be an English translation. I'm not the Messiah. Oh man, this gets good. You ready for this? Well, well, who's the Messiah? What does the Messiah do? The Messiah was the Savior. So now, what is John saying? John is saying this. Um, I'm not the Savior, or how about this? I don't have the power to save anyone. Whew. You see, like, we would say that. We say that. No, I, like, very rarely, there's a small population of people that would actually say with their mouth, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, you know, Pretty, pretty big deal, and I think this whole thing would cave in if I wasn't around, you know? Like, like there's a very small population of people. Some of you are nudging people, and I just, you know, okay? Um, very few of us would actually say that, but here's the problem. By our actions, we show that we actually believe that. Whether it be relationships, whether it be our family, whether it be the workplace, um, there's actually a term for it, right? You've heard it before. Wow, they have a Messiah complex. That's a savior complex. And, and so I thought it would be great and highly offensive if we just maybe asked um, a few diagnosing questions of some things maybe do I struggle with. And, and, and maybe these questions through the power of the Holy Spirit can reveal um, and, and bring some, some freedom. So, so John very clearly doesn't have a Messiah complex. I am not the Christ. Nope, not that guy. Don't put me on a pedestal. But what are some marks of, of a Messiah complex? Well, the first one is this. You really believe that you can change people. Like, really believe. Like, it comes out in sentences like this. Buddy, you give me an afternoon with that kid, and that kid would be a whole different person. Uh, oh, oh, great. Um, I thought it was strange that your kids were in therapy, but apparently you've got it all together, Right? You, now, the, you know, the problem is, you know, man, if I just had a day at that work, right? You, you really believe, or it's even, um, well, I know they've had a lot of trouble, 
And I know they've struggled with this, and they, they have a pattern of abusive relationships, but I really think they've never really been with a good person before. And so I think I, I, think I can change them. By the way, just um, really quickly, how's that going, right? Second mark, you really believe that you're right. Like, like not just right, but the problem with the world and all other of my relationships and any time I get into a conflict is because they simply don't see it how I see it. That's the problem. Like, you need that shirt that says, I'm so sorry that you're wrong, right? <laughs> you know, the problem is, is you're wrong. But you genuinely believe, and so someone like this doesn't really seek out any other opinions. What we need to go see a counselor for? Just, you know, I know what the problem is. Oh, okay. You really believe that you're right. Uh, the third mark you really struggle to say no. So um, it's got to uh, bid another job. I've got yes, 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 yes. Hey, can you, yes, you haven't even heard what the ask was yet, but yes, and yes, and all of the, listen, that is a sheer sign of, of over-functioning in your life. And parents, be careful because this creeps in very easily. Because oftentimes we tend, do you know what the definition of overfunctioning is? Is when you do things for people that they are willing and capable to do. But you step in to do it because you, maybe it's control, maybe it's a need, what, whatever that is, but you can't say no. And by far the last mark of a Messiah complex is um, you're arguing with this list. I just threw that in. I thought it was good, right? You see, John, um, we don't think about humility this way. We think humility is all about knowing who you are and freedom and no restraints and kumbaya and all of that stuff. That's just chaos sprinkled with fairy dust is all that is. Humility, first and foremost, knows who it's not. Um, this past summer, I, I really love reading memoirs of people's lives. And every summer I try to pick one out. And I read this past summer Alex Trebek's memoir. Um, and the title of it is The Answer Is. And it was really fascinating as the host of Jeopardy since its inception. But Alex Trebek, if you remember in the news, announced that he had pancreatic cancer and still hosted the show. And his fans showed him tremendous love. He talks a lot about death and relationships in the memoir. On the very first page, in the introduction, he says this. I've never really seen myself as anything special. That's why I struggle writing my own memoir. And that's why, actually, if you listen to Johnny Gilbert's announcement at the opening of Jeopardy, I'm introduced as the host and not the star. You see, I insisted on that when I took the job. Back in 1984, I'm a host, not a star. So here's a question. 
when you survey your life, are you the host? Are you the one who's um, giving props to Jesus and escorting him around to all the areas of your life and showing him off? Or when you survey your life and your relationships, are you the star? And what I've noticed as I get older, a really good measurement for that is do you have lifelong friends? Or like friends that you've had for 10, 15, 20 years? Because if you look back on your life and you realize I've never really been close with anyone, that's because we as human beings can't stand to be in a relationship when someone thinks they're the star. Are you the host or are you the star? Because humility knows who it's not. I do not have the power to save anyone. But then the second mark is this. Humility then knows who it is. It's a humble confidence there. I love what John says. Here it is. Um, We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Here it is, verse 23. And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. I love it. There's so much packed in this verse. Number one, he just says, I'm a voice. I'm just a voice. By the way, you want to do some really fun Bible study? Notice that in John's gospel, Jesus is the word. Ooh, this is good. But John introduces himself as the voice. Not the word, just the voice. I'm not the message. I'm just the messenger. I'm not the star. I'm simply the host. And where does John draw his identity from? What what are the defining factors? How does John find out who he is? As the prophet Isaiah said. You see, John derives his identity from what God has said about him. How easy it would have been. Are are you Elijah? You're kind of like Elijah. Are you a prophet? Are you this? Are you that? And it would have been so easy for John's identity to be based on how other people view him. And oh my, how much we struggle with that. That we are who you say I am. There is so much freedom when John says, I'm not No, I'm not. I am. I'm just a voice. And what is that freedom? Well, the freedom is this. When you know who you are, you are free from the comparing and competitive life. Oh, it is so free. It is so freeing to not have to keep up with the Joneses or, by the way, who are the Joneses, right? Okay, or have to do this or have to do that. And and notice, if you don't know who you are, a sheer mark of pride is not being able to celebrate other people. So when you see him pull up in a new truck and your first thought is, I know exactly how much that is. Must be nice. Must be nice, and I'm just driving this old beater around. 
I don't even need that. Probably got it given to him anyway. I mean, am I lying up here today or what? Like, you can't celebrate anyone. But when you simply know who you are, there is a freedom to be able to just say, good for you. Great. Um, you know, for this, I think we struggle with it so much that we really need to pause and, and go into the deep water, okay? So I need you to lean in just a little bit because this is pretty theologically in-depth, okay? And, and for this, I think what we need to do is we need to turn to Toy Story, okay? Like, we really need to figure this out, right? Um, if you remember in Toy Story 1, the whole premise is Andy has his favorite toys, and then on Andy's birthday, he gets Buzz Lightyear. By the way, this movie's over 20 years old. <laughs> right? Toy Story's almost, it's a classic now. I mean, make you pass out, right? And so Andy gets Buzz Lightyear. Buzz lights up. I mean, Buzz flies around. Um, I, mean, it's, I mean, it is the toy. Well, Andy's favorite toy, Woody... The whole premise, hey, listen, by the way, um, Toy Story is a lot more deeper than you think it is, okay? Um, Woody has an identity crisis because now Woody is comparing himself to Buzz. He doesn't have this, he doesn't have a laser, he doesn't have any of that stuff. And Andy puts Woody to the side. Oh, and it kills him. And, and remember when Woody's trying to do all the stuff that Buddy or that Buzz can do and all of these cool things. And um, then there's the moment. You remember the moment in the movie? He's so bummed and he's so crushed because he thinks Andy doesn't love him anymore. And remember it? He picks up his foot and he remembers that Andy had marked him as his own. Listen, it's a lot easier to know who you are when you know whose you are. If you don't know whose you are, you will be you for everyone, for every relationship, for every job. And then, then it's like a hamster wheel. Then you have to keep the image up oh and then it's exhausting because then what if you really want to go deeper in this relationship and and I've been kind of living this lie and and so now well you know there's a cry and so oftentimes we push people away before they ever know who we are and that's why we cycle through relationships listen John knew who he was because John knew whose he was as the prophet Isaiah said, this is what God says about me. Do you know what God says about you? I, listen, I only have like 30 minutes on a Sunday and all week long you're bombarded and you're in conversations and you're dealing with the voice in your head. But if you only knew what you were worth, if you only knew what you were worth, that what we celebrate this time of year is that God thought so much and God thinks so much of you that Philippians chapter 2 said that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant to be obedient even to the point of death, that Jesus Christ, 
Christ left the very presence of heaven with angels singing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty to come to earth to find you. That's what you're worth. And don't turn this into, well, I know who I am and I know what I'm worth now and uh-uh, you can't get in my life, you ain't on this train, choo-choo, or whatever, some dumb thing that you do, right? Because there's two forms of pride. Pride says two things. Pride says, oh, buddy, they need me. <laughs> this whole ship would sink if it wasn't for me. We know that pride. But do you know what pride also says? Nobody needs me. See, it's been this way my whole life. My only friend is Eeyore. Wah, wah, right? That's a, that's a complex because it's all about you. You see, humility knows who it's not and it's so free. And then humility knows who it is, but they know who it is as defined by what God has said. But what's the comparison? Are we grading on a curve here? Like, like what is the standard for humility? Well, it's the last thing. Humility knows who Jesus is. Listen, it's always about Jesus. I have one sermon. You guys keep showing up every Sunday. I have one message. Like, like, we'll learn some stuff, and I'll be like, in the original language, it says this, to try to, like, switch it up. But then always, at the end, I'm like, Jesus, right? Because look at what John says. This is the moment for John. And the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold. Remember, we've learned about this word. Anytime you see behold, circle it and write in the margin of your Bible, get ready. Get ready, because here it comes. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, there it is. It's not just behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Why the Lamb of God? Like, really? It couldn't have been like, behold, the Lion of God, right? Behold, the Bear of God. Like, that would be cool. A Lamb? Have you seen a lamb? No defense mechanism. None. No defense mechanism. Maybe try to run. Not that fast, right? Um, kind of smelly. Not the smartest, but really good grilled. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just like, all right? Like, like why the lamb of God? Um, well, this is, a, this is an Old Testament reference to Exodus chapter 12 when the people of Israel were in bondage and slavery. And, and God came to Moses and said, I'm, I'm going to free my people from slavery and the oppression of the emperor. And he sent a bunch of plagues. You learned about these, remember these, locusts, all that stuff. And the last plague was the angel of death. And God said this to his people. He said, today, you need to take a lamb without blemish, and your family needs to sacrifice that lamb. And you need to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the home. And when the death angel comes, when he sees the doorpost covered with blood, he will pass over. 
the Jewish people still celebrate it to this day. It's the Passover meal. We just learned about it in the upper room. And John is saying this. Jesus is the last final lamb. That when Jesus Christ dies in our place for our sins, there's no more sacrifices. That God has done, remember what we said what Christmas is? God has done what we could not do for ourselves. Listen, the very message of Christmas is we can't save ourselves. That's the very message of Christmas. I love what J.C. Ryle said. Christ did not come to earth to be a conqueror or a philosopher or a mere teacher of morality. He came to save sinners. He came to do that which man could never do for himself. To do that which money and learning could never obtain to do that which is essential to man's happiness. He came to take away sin. What is essential to man's happiness? The guilt and the shame and the suffering that we have gone through in our lives? Jesus Christ came to bear that and to remove it off of your back so you live a free life knowing who you're not and knowing who you are. Listen, to receive the gift of Christ, it requires humility. Um, in closing, I ran across such a phenomenal story about the emperors over in Vienna. Um, when Emperor Franz Joseph died, when any of the emperors over there die, they are all buried in one monastery. Um, it's a part of the tradition. The monastery is very decked out. It's where the emperors are all buried. But when an emperor dies, there is a procession from the place of death to the monastery. And then when you arrive at the monastery, the messenger of the king knocks on the door to the monastery and the monks open the doors and have the procession come inside. History records that when Franz Joseph passed away, his messenger arrived at the monastery and knocked on the door. And from inside the voice, a monk said, Who are you? Who knocks? And the messenger replied, It is Franz Joseph, emperor of Austria, king of Hungary. And the monk replied, I do not know you. Tell me again who you are. And the messenger replied, It is Franz Joseph, Emperor of Austria, King of Hungary, Bohemia, Gallica, Laundromea, and Dalamea, Grand Duke of Transylvania, Margrave and Moravia, Duke of Styria and Corinth. And the monk responded, we still don't know you. Who are you? To which the messenger got on his knees and said, It is Franz Joseph, a poor sinner 
humbly begging for God's mercy and to be laid at rest. To which the monk replied, Ah, we know you. Come in. Come in. It's the only way we come to Christ. How do you think you're going to come to Jesus? You're going to hold up the house? Look, Jesus, shiplap. Look, Jesus, the retirement. Look, Jesus, the well-behaved kids. We only come to Christ and go, it is me, a poor sinner in need of your mercy, to which Jesus always replies, then come in. So I ask you today, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you're not? And most importantly, do you know who Jesus is? Father God, we come before you today so thankful for the life of John the Baptist and for your word. God, many of us in this room today have heavy burdens. We are weary in spirit And we are striving, God. It's the holidays. There's expectations. We've worked two jobs. We want to give the kids what they want. And then, but also at the same time, we, and God, everything is coming to a point. And it's, oh, there's so much. And could we for a moment literally say to ourselves what John said? I am not the Messiah. (laughs) I am can't save anyone, including myself. God, give us the power to say that today. And then, through your grace and mercy, may we find who we are. That Jesus, you do not think lightly of any soul in this room or any soul listening. That you literally stepped out of heaven to earth That's how much you thought of us. And may we see you rightly and say what John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.